You're listening to a sermon from St. John's Anglican in Cranbourne. To find out more about us, head to cranbourneanglican.org.au. Welcome to church this morning. Uh, I love the fact that when Pastor Sam came up with a story about confession, he had a story about hiding a matchbox car at the age of five. Uh, I, on the other hand, was banned from multiple department stores and taken to the police twice before the age of five. My name is Jimmy Young, and if you'd like to hear more, talk to me after the service. Now, we are going to be looking at confession and repentance today, but more than that, what we're trying to do is answer the question, how do we grow in love for the Lord? How do we keep our love for Jesus? And the way that we're going to do that is we're going to look at the book of Acts, and particularly the city of Ephesus, where we see one of the greatest city-wide, church-wide revivals, a church that had far more Holy Spirit power than perhaps anything we've ever seen, and yet eventually lost their way and lost their love for the Lord. So the context leading up to where we dropped in in verse 8 is that a man named Apollos has been preaching in Ephesus, but he doesn't quite know all the Jesus bits. He doesn't know all about the gospel. So a couple named Aquila and Priscilla teach him. Soon after, Paul rocks up on the scene, asks them, have you guys received the Holy Spirit? They say, who on earth is that? Uh, Soon after, they receive the Holy Spirit. Paul's praying with them. And he starts preaching. So we pick it up from verse 8. Paul entered the synagogue and for three months spoke out boldly and argued persuasively about the kingdom of God. When some stubbornly refused to believe and spoke evil of the way before the congregation, he left them, taking the disciples with him and argued daily in the lecture halls of Tyrannus. This continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia, both Jews and Greeks, heard the word of the Lord. Now, it's important to note that there is no church in Ephesus at this moment. There's no First Baptist down the street. There's no Anglican church. Hillsong haven't made their home in Ephesus yet. There's nothing. And Paul starts proclaiming the gospel, first preaching in the synagogue, then going into the lecture halls of Tyrannus. And what's the result? We see in verse 10, All the residents of Asia, both Jews and Greeks, heard the word of the Lord. That is an incredible effectiveness, right? Like, can you just imagine planting a church in Cranbourne, right? And within two years, every single person who calls Cranbourne home, it's like, oh yeah, I've heard of Jesus. I've heard about that Jesus guy. That church down the road, they they keep proclaiming Jesus. A plus church plant, right? That would be incredible, Paul is being incredibly effective. And then incredible things start to happen. Miraculous things start to happen. So we see in verse 11, or start in verse 11, God did extraordinary miracles through Paul so that when the handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were brought to the sick, their diseases left them and the evil spirits came out of them. It's just incredible. Paul is so full of the spirit that even just these basic items, handkerchiefs and aprons, are healing people because they come in contact with him. Now, I'm, I'm a hanky man myself. I love a good hanky. I've got to be honest, if you told me that I could be healed if I touched someone else's handkerchief, I still probably wouldn't do it, right? Hankies are pretty gross. So imagine like how powerful this thing has to be in order for people to be like, oh, that's Paul's hanky? Let me, I just want to touch it, right? Incredible, miraculous deeds 
and people start to pay attention. Some itinerant Jewish exorcists tried to use the name of the Lord, literally saying, I adjure you by the, the Jesus whom Paul proclaims, right? I don't believe Jesus. I'm not sure about him, but I'm going to use his name because it seems really powerful. And then we come to, I think, what is one of my favorite little stories in all of the Bible, the seven sons of Siva. And this is the kind of story that if you didn't read it in the Bible, you wouldn't believe me if I told you about it. This is what it says. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Siva were doing this. But the evil spirit said to them in reply, Jesus I know and Paul I know, but who are you? Now, that's pretty incredible, isn't it? Jesus I know, and in some other translation it says, Paul I've heard of. Paul is so effective in his mission of proclaiming the gospel that the demons know his name. They're like, ah, uh, well, you guys are fine, but... uh, is Paul coming? I think, I think I'm actually busy today. It's been really nice terrorizing you. Uh, I'll see you again, right? I know this Paul guy. I know his reputation. And then verse 16, which I think is just beautiful. Then the man with the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered them all, and so overpowered them that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. Now, are there any UFC fans here this morning or boxing fans? Anyone who enjoys a good brawl? Probably not, right? We're lovers, not fighters. Oh, we've got, we've got a hand at the back. Sam's going, no, I don't watch UFC. <laughs> Look, I'm, I'm not a brawler. I'm not a boxer. I'm not a fighter. I've got one rule when it comes to fighting. If when the fight started, you had pants, and when the fight ends, you don't have pants, you lost the fight. Right? There's no coming, there's no coming back from that, right? Like there's no like, oh, I had him in a headlock, like I got a good uppercut in. You don't have pants, you lost. Right? That's my rule when it comes to fighting. The man with the evil spirit mastered them all, overpowered them, they fled out of the house naked and wounded, afraid. And what is the result of all of this? Verse 17. When this became known to all residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, everyone was awestruck. And the name of the Lord Jesus was praised. Many of those who became believers confessed and disclosed their practices. A number of those who practiced magic collected their books, burned them publicly. And when the value was calculated, it was found to come to 50,000 silver coins. The word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. So the end result of this beating is a holy fear falls upon Ephesus. People start worshipping the Lord. The demonic, the evil is being forced to the edges of the culture and the word of the Lord prevails and grows. This is an incredible start for the church in Ephesus. Everyone in Asia has heard about Jesus. A holy fear falls upon the whole city. People are coming and confessing their practices to the tune of 50,000 silver coins. A plus start for the church in Ephesus. But then we fast forward a couple of years, about 40 to 60 years, depending on who you believe, to a word that Jesus has for them in the book of Revelation. So Jesus says this, he's uh, telling John uh, to write to the angel of the church in Ephesus, write this, these are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. If you're super confused, don't be, he's talking about Jesus, right? This is the words of Jesus, and this is what he says to him, I know your works, 
your toil and your patient endurance. I know that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them to be false. I also know that you are enduring patiently and bearing up for the sake of my name and that you have not grown weary. Now, let's be honest here. If Jesus was saying these words to us, we'd be fairly encouraged, right? This seems like, an, like a pretty good church plan, right? I know your works. You work hard for the gospel. You endure patiently. You don't get frightened when things turn sour. You push through. You work hard. You test those who claim to be apostles but are not and found them to be false. They know that when someone says something to test it against the word of God, they know their Bible. They know how to say that doesn't line up with the message of Jesus. I know that you're enduring patiently. He mentions it twice. Right? They're really good at enduring and bearing up for the sake of my name. You've not grown weary. These are men and women who have not grown tired. But then Jesus has the rebuke. And he says this in verse five, uh, verse 4. This I have against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember then from what you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. This for me, on the surface, is one of the single most terrifying threats in Scripture. Because Jesus comes to an on-the-surfaced, rich, healthy, theologically, like, theologically deep and lays this accusation at their feet. You don't love me. You do all the works, you endure patiently, I see that, but you don't love me. And according to Jesus, you can fight the good fight. You can fill your head with scripture. You can grow in knowledge. You can come to church every week. You can attend every single prayer meeting. You can be doctrinally correct and stamp, uh, just beat your chest upon those principles. But if you don't love Jesus, none of it matters. And if you have no love for the Lord, no affections for the Lord, no desire for Jesus, he is going to pull the lampstand out from its place. He is going to shut this thing down. He's going to remove his presence from amongst us. And yes, he may save and encourage, but he will not do it through us. Let me be more specific here. A church planted by Paul the Apostle pastored by Timothy, his co-worker, eldered by John, who wrote the book of John, lasted 60 years before cold affections for the Lord, a lack of love for the Lord, created a death spiral which led to the end of one of the most influential New Testament churches. There is no church in Ephesus. There is no church in the nearest town to Ephesus in modern-day Turkey. The lampstand has been removed. So why are we any different? Loving the Lord is not a secondary pursuit in the Christian life. It's the first and great commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. So really the question that we have to grapple with this morning, is Jesus my first love or am I headed in the same direction as Ephesus? Is Jesus my first love 
or am I headed in the same direction as Ephesus? You might be feeling a bit of conviction right now, asking, well, okay, I I feel the weight of these words. Jesus is not my first love, but how do I return? How do I go back to my first love? Well, Jesus actually provides us a bit of a blueprint in verse 5. I have it on the screen. Remember then from what you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Jesus says, go back, return to whatever was going on in Ephesus that created this Holy Spirit movement that overflowed in love and praise. Go back, return, remember the works you did at first. So let's return to Ephesus. Let's return to the book of Acts. See, I think there's a couple of things that are worth noting from the church of Ephesus, from the city of Ephesus, from what we find in Acts 19 that gives a bit of a guide for us how we grow our love for the Lord, how we keep our love, how we become, how we don't become cold-hearted. See, what we see is that after this holy fear falls upon Ephesus, there is confession and repentance not skin deep confession wholehearted confession and repentance and what I think we find is that confession and repentance fuels their love for Jesus it's when they forget to confess and repent that they grow cold hearted did you notice in that list in Revelation 2 Jesus doesn't mention repentance or confession once It's what the church was founded on. It's not mentioned once. And the beauty of Ephesus when it starts out in confession and repentance is that it is super grimy. They don't know how to pretend. They don't know how to play the church games, right? The biggest lie that many of us tell on a Sunday is when people ask us how we are when we walk through those doors. Fine. I'm good. How's your week? Fine. I'm good. One of the things we learn in church is not to actually confess too much. That's not the city of Ephesus. They're not just confessing routine sins like lust or lying. They're confessing witchcraft. Can you just imagine for a moment that someone starts attending your small group, right? Or starts coming into a prayer meeting and says, look, uh, Bill, my next door neighbor, has been having really loud house parties and I, I got sick of it. So uh, yesterday I, uh, I slaughtered a goat and put a curse upon him. Bill's daughter's really sick now. Uh, what should I do about that? Like, I, I guess I should repent, right? Can Jesus help me? Like, we, we, don't, we don't have any confessions like that. Maybe we should. Maybe we should. Because what we see in Ephesus is that there is no sin too grotesque for Jesus. There is no sin that we can commit that is too grotesque for him. No sin too much that if you came to him with a contrite heart, he would not forgive you in full. You want to grow in your love for Jesus? You want to keep your love for Jesus? Confession and repentance is our bread and butter, not just on a Sunday, but every day. Confession and repentance are the foundation of our worship. They fuel our love. You know, we're, we're Anglicans. 
This is an Anglican church. Every single week we have confession because we know that we need to confess our sins. It's not just because it says it in the prayer book. It's not just because we need to do it because we're told to. It's because they know something, that if we don't confess our sins and repent, it will lead to cold-heartedness, that it fuels our love for God. It doesn't rob it. Because you know the beauty of confession and repentance as a Christian? The beauty of confession and repentance as a Christian is that what follows isn't judgment, but grace, mercy, and forgiveness. See, what happens for far too many of us is that we fail to confess our sins, become forgetful of the grace and mercy that's on offer to us in Christ Jesus and end up fearing the judgment of the Lord because all we've done is hide. What he offers us is grace and forgiveness. Full. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's Romans 9 verse 1. But we fail to confess our sins, so we become forgetful and fear him. You want a recipe for cold hardness towards God? You want a recipe for losing your love for God? Confess nothing. Don't ever repent. Because if you confess nothing and never repent, I guarantee you it will lead to a loss of love for the Lord. You will forget his grace. You will forget his mercy. And I think Jesus knows that. See, we have verse 5 again. What does he say? Remember then from what you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. See, what Jesus is actually saying again and again and again and again is repent. See, he's remember then from what you have fallen. Remember what you guys used to do? You remember how you started out in repentance? Do that. Repent and do the works you did at first. Remember those? Repentance. And then what is the end? I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. What Jesus is saying is, remember how you used to repent? You should repent. Do the works you did at first. You know, repentance? If you don't, watch out. I'll remove the lampstand unless you repent. Jesus is trying to drive home what they need to do. You'd have to be a fool not to see this. Repentance. Repentance. Confession and repentance. So let me speak plainly to us here. Some of us come to church every single week with cold hearts towards God because we've never, or not for a long time, gone to him in confession and repentance and allowed him to peel the hardness of our hearts off. We have hard hearts towards God because we don't confess our sins and repent of them and therefore cut us off from his grace and mercy and forgiveness. So there's no cute quote, no story to wrap everything up today. Just a simple plea. You don't need more Bible today. You need to come to Jesus. You need to return to your first love. Not tomorrow, not next week, not next month, not when it's more convenient, not when you've got things all sorted out and definitely not when you've you know, got a bit older. Now, it's not because of fear that God will judge you. It's because mercy and grace and forgiveness are available to those who confess and trust Jesus. 
So here's what we're going to do. We're going to spend just a minute in silence. And that's an opportunity for you to spend time with God. The rest of the week might be busy. The rest of the week can fill up. But this is a moment for you to spend with God, talking with him about all the things that you've felt like you've needed to hide from him. All the things that you feel like you've needed to keep from him. Return to your first love. After that, I'll pray. So let's just spend a minute in silence with God. Father, you are faithful. You are the faithful one. God, it says in your word that you separate our sins from us as far as the east is from the west. So let us bring those sins before you. Let us not hide anything. Let us not think we can hide anything from you. God, reveal all the ways in which we've hidden ourselves from you. Fill us with your spirit and lead us to bring those sins before you so that we may trust you and grow and keep our love for you, God. Let us heed the warning of Ephesus, return to our first love. God, this can't happen outside of a movement of the spirit. So God, we pray that you would fill us this morning, convict us, Lead us back to your mercy, your grace, and forgiveness. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.